In this lecture, I'm going to examine the conditions that produce the possibility for coalitions and cooperation in interest group activity. Up to this point in the class, there's been kind of this underlying, I would say, implied assumption that the interest group struggle is primarily a conflict-laden one, a competitive, conflictual set of activities where different groups are working to advance their preferred policies uh, to get what they want uh, and to beat out other groups that want to get something that they want uh, that's different from that. Um, and there's absolutely a large measure of the interest group struggle that centers around this conflict, the conflict model, as I have it here in the notes. Uh, and this is a result of the fact that in many cases, interests that are represented by different groups uh, exist in a kind of a zero-sum situation where the gain for one group is a loss for another. Um, here in the notes, you see that uh, there's a continuum that when A benefits, that, sh that should also imply that B is losing, and when uh, B benefits, A is losing. And really, of course, this two-dimensional model is very, very simplified, uh, even in a, a more realistic situation with this specific uh, example, the status quo would probably be beneficial to group C. And so any change in either the direction of A or B is going to benefit A at the expense of C as well as to the detriment of B. Uh, and so group C is gonna, going to struggle to keep the status quo the same. Group A is going to struggle to move uh, the policy needle in the leftward direction. And B is going to struggle to move the policy direction in the rightward direction uh, so that they can gain that benefit. And there's no doubt that in uh, politics and policymaking in many endeavors in human life, uh, there is this zero-sum nature to outcomes, and this produces a highly competitive uh, conflict-centric uh, model. It, that for sure exists. Uh, it is, however, not the only kind of situation that can exist related to the relationship of interest groups to each other and how their interests uh, are related to each other. There are two other models, uh, the collaboration model and the cooperation model, and these models uh, push in the direction of different relationships between interest groups. Um, now, I just want to go through first uh, the conflict model and give an example, and I'm going to follow this example through the collaboration model and the cooperation model to show how even with the same set of people, there could be situations where uh, the uh, type of relationship between their, the group's interests uh, vary so that we can move from one model to another. So in the conflict model, um, let's just consider students and teachers. Uh, and you know, you're students, you're listening to me, I'm a teacher. Uh, we for sure have a conflict of interests in terms of tuition increases and uh, budget cuts for departments. Um, my salary is largely dependent upon student tuition rate. It's also dependent upon other factors such as uh, the state subsidy, um, as well as the activities of my union in negotiating with the administration. Um, so there's, it's, it's, it, there's a complicated, as in all situations, there's a complicated uh, true situation. But in a true, realistic, though simplified way, the more students pay in tuition, the more I'm likely to make in salary as a professor. So, uh, and I have a material interest in increased salary and benefits, and students have a material interest in uh, um, tuition remaining low uh, and not increasing a large amount. So, to the extent that we can't both get what we want, I can't get a salary increase 
without tuition increases and you can't keep tuition the same or have tuition be reduced uh, relative to inflation without uh, uh, fighting against salary increases for uh, faculty. So what I want directly conflicts with what the students want. Uh, and that is a straightforward conflict model. And so in that case, our two interest groups, uh, and you know, to the extent that students are a largely uh, unorganized informal interest group, though there are uh, groups that represent you as students, there's the um, student government, uh, and there are student lobbying organizations that do lobby for, uh, f uh, you know, against tuition increases, against fee increases, uh, for greater uh, subsidies of uh, the public school education that you're getting at Portland State University. So uh, there are those organizations that definitely my union, uh, the t uh, whatever chapter of the, uh, I can't remember what my union is called, American Association of University Professors. I think that's what it is. I really ought to know. Um, anyway, I am a member a dues-paying member uh, of that uh, organized interest group, and I have a very direct material interest in the outcome of its activities. And it's engaged, one, in uh, negotiating with the university for our contract, which is uh, directly tied to my salary. When we get a better contract, I make more money. Um, and the union is also uh, involved in uh, uh, lobbying the state legislature for uh, uh, an amount of funding for the university that will allow the university to, you know, give us in those negotiations salary increases as well as to maintain or increase our uh, non-salary based benefits such as health care benefits. Uh, you know, I would I would love to have free parking. Uh, I have to pay over $100 a month for uh, parking, or at least I used to when I would uh, drive to campus when there was a, uh, there were reasons to go to campus. Um, and I would like free parking. I would like my union to be able to push for that extra, what are called fringe benefits. Uh, but in order to do that, would require additional funding for the university that would allow the university to forego the revenue um, that uh, comes from charging faculty for parking passes. Um, to the extent that uh, you know, I win or my interest group wins, you, your interest group as students, loses because you're either going to pay more in tuition or you're going to pay more in fees or your parking passes are going to have to increase um, uh, or you're going to, uh, the tuition is not going to go up, but, but uh, some um, different services that might be uh, given to you uh, are given instead over to uh, faculty salaries. So I don't need to go too much into this any further uh, to indicate that as students and professors, we have conflicting interests. Um, that is, however, not the only way, even among these two interest groups, that we that our interests relate to each other. Uh, the collaboration model shows that groups can have overlapping interests. Uh, and I'll just note quickly, because I'm not really going to talk about coalition activity, except to note that um, when coalitions form, uh, that adds a new layer of organizational activity to inter the interest group struggle. Uh, and I talked about some of the challenges uh, of both cooperation and struggle within an interest group. When you now have two or more interest groups working together because they are in one of these overlapping areas of the Venn diagram and the people who are uh, running the interest groups see that they have overlapping interests and they decide to work together, um, there will be uh, all of those same sources of struggle but, uh, about setting the agenda, about priorities, about developing and utilizing resources that existed internal. So coalitions are 
just more complex versions of a singular organized interest group, but the same kinds of both cooperation and struggle uh, can exist within them. When can coalitions form? Well, coalitions can form um, when uh, there are overlapping interests. Now, as teacher, as a teacher and you as a student, uh, we have conflicting interests around funding, but we also have overlapping interests in more funding, right? So if the, uh, you know, a, a chunk of the operating budget for Portland State University is provided by tuition uh, and fees, a chunk of the operating budget, the really pretty much the rest of the operating budget is provided for by uh, money from the state government. Well, it's not 100% of that. Part, part of it actually comes from grants. The university takes a chunk of any grants that faculty uh, researchers bring in. Um, they take a slice. It's a commission. Uh, there's, a, there's a kind of an overhead aspect. So that's another source. But it's, that's not such a major, tremendous source of uh, operating budget for Portland State University. But I should just note that it's true. But uh, to, you know, tuition and fees, which comes directly out of your pocket, um, and uh, state subsidies, which are paid for by the taxpayers, which in some sense are paid for by all of us, uh, but also are kind of paid for by none of us, uh, is a big part of it. We have an overlapping interest in more state funding for Portland State University. The more money comes from the state government, the more we can both get things that we want, that you can get improved, uh, um, uh, you can get, uh, uh, not improved, you can get yeah, improved services without paying more in fees. You can get um, a lack of tuition increases, uh, even as your instructors uh, successfully push for more money for themselves. And of course, the teachers can, we will get better support. We will have the possibility that our union can negotiate for higher salary if there's more operating budget that the administration can work with in their collective bargaining uh, activities. So teachers and students have an overlapping interest in more funding. So we could form a coalition to lobby uh, the state legislature for more money. And in fact, that happens. And I, I personally have participated in this. Portland State has a lobby day, or, and maybe it will again. Uh, and in the lobby day, students, staff, and faculty, all of whom have overlapping interests, uh, and of course, sometimes conflicting interests, because faculty and staff have, have conflicting interests in terms of support, budgets, pay, uh, faculty and students as I pointed out, have conflicting interests in terms of tuition increases and in pay. Um, but those three groups of people, who, all of whom are have organized interest groups representing them, get together and go to Salem and make and ask uh, the state legislature to pass a budget that keeps funding at the same level or increases funding for Portland State University, and in fact, for all the public colleges uh, in the state of Oregon, because it's kind of done all in one big chunk. Um, so when you have overlapping interests like that, you can form a coalition and you can join members. You can join financial resources. You can join activist energy. You can join membership numbers. Uh, and when a coalition can form... Uh, be around a particular issue, and typically coalitions are uh, typically not a you know they can be broad based where these where groups get together to work together on a variety of policies, but often it's just that there's an overlapping interest around a specific policy, and that happens in the context of the broader conflict model that these different interest groups also have uh, conflicting interests where a win for one is a loss for another. 
Um, now, the cooperation model is, uh, you know, it, it can look like the collaboration model because it does also make uh, coalitions possible. But what it really makes is it makes it possible for um, the uh, policymakers themselves to get wins for two or more groups who can cooperate together even though they're also struggling, right? Collaboration is where you get together and you work for a common cause because you have overlapping interests. Um, and there may be a sort of internal organizational struggle about methods and what should the sign say and which day should we go down to do the lobbying and, you know, who's going to pay for the buses. There, there is a certain form of struggle when you're, when you, when you're forming a collaborative coalition, um, but largely you're pulling together for a common cause that you that two or more groups have at the same moment. The cooperation model is where um, each group is seeking a benefit, but their benefits don't happen in a zero-sum environment. They're interconnected in a way that makes a gain for one gener generally generate a gain for another. Um, now, it's not always the same level of gain. It's not like a zero sum where a gain for one is a loss for another. Um, every extra dollar that gets paid to me in salary has to be provided for in terms of uh, greater tuition from you students. Now that, of course, that doesn't always happen because it could be that the state is providing more funding. But if I get more salary because tuition goes up, that's a zero sum interest. My material gain is the material loss of students. Um, when there's more funding for the university as a whole, that's an overlapping interest. But uh, an example here is that um, improved salaries for teachers can lead to better instructional quality for students because if Portland State University can offer more attractive salaries, it can attract and hire better faculty and it can retain better faculty. That's one of the things about salaries. I want a higher salary just because I personally want more material benefit. The university and you students want higher salaries because that enables the attraction and retention of higher quality faculty. Now, of course, that's warped a little bit with tenure and you can end up, uh, you know, making a lot of money, even though you're not very good at your job. And that is a dysfunction in the system. And I will only just note that in case you're thinking it, but uh, I'm going to bypass that for now because I am still working in a relatively simplified model here. But um, improved salaries for teachers lead to better uh, instructional quality for students. And so let's say that, that um, the students are group B um, and uh, faculty are group A. Notice here on this chart that there's a greater gain for A than there is for B. Um, and that is what often happens when there are interconnected interests. And what this gives rise to is both collaboration and competition. Um, conflict and cooperation, right? Because what uh, different groups would like is they would like the policy option that is going to provide the greater benefit for them, the greatest possible benefit for them. And if we're in a zero-sum interest, you're going to be just wanting a different thing than other groups. But even in a cooperation model, you're going to want to make sure that that particular policy is more beneficial to your group. So for example, if there are going to be salary increases that are going to materially benefit faculty, um, which is group A here on the, on the chart, um, and that's going to lead to improved instructional uh, quality for students, why is it that, that students don't get the equivalent benefit? 
Well, one of the reasons why they don't get the equivalent benefit is because it could come at the expense of some increase in tuition. And what students will want is they will want increase in salary, which hopefully will map onto increased instructional quality with as little tuition increase as possible. And so what students would prefer would be greater subsidy from the state government to PSU so that PSU can offer better salaries and, and uh, attract and retain better instructional talent without impacting the tuition that is paid by students. Faculty really have you know, no concern or minimal concern for the source of the funding increase if there is an increase in uh, salary. So this is an area where while we can uh, see that there are policy options that will not be zero sum, where it's not one group's gain and the other group's loss, but there are different outcomes and the groups themselves would prefer the one that benefits them more than the other. Um, but there will be, in many cases, a range of policy options that, uh, as it here is on the notes, get to Northeast. Northeast being in this uh, sort of XY axis, uh, the Northeast is where both groups gain. Because, because this XY axis, while it's a more complicated, uh, more, I would say, realistic model than just the two-dimensional conflict model of zero-sum left-right A-B, there are other directions to move. Let's say a policy moves northwest on this. It, uh, that would be a, a, a benefit for A and a loss for B. Um, and that would then kind of collapse down into the zero-sum conflict model. So if there's a policy, for example, raising tuition to give more money to uh, instructors, that would move to the northwest, which would be a gain for teachers and a loss for students. Uh, the art of sort of cooperating in policy outcomes and cooperating, not just collaborating where it's obviously we have overlapping interests, uh, but in cooperating on in a case where it, we, we could both get some of what we want is to get to Northeast, is to find policy options that benefit both or in, you know, in the case of a more complex situation, three or four uh, different interest groups um, at the same time. So the cooperation model contains the seeds potentially of conflict because you could go to the Northwest or you could go to the Southeast, which would benefit students but hurt professors. Hopefully, and then of course, this is where there's uh, cooperation as well. If there's a policy option that goes to the Southwest that would hurt both group A and group B, then those groups have uh, now an overlapping interest in preventing that policy. They, there's, they, they have an overlapping interest in playing defense. So let's say that there's a, a proposal on the table to uh, cut instructional salary and increase tuition. That is going to move to the Southwest, and students and faculty are going to join together. They're going to have an overlapping interest. This, is the this, this pushes us to the collaboration model then um, in playing defense against that policy, stopping it from happening. Now, because there are then the other uh, three quadrants uh, which are available, there's going to be some conflict between these groups uh, because if stopping uh, the Southwest from happening opens the possibility of the Northwest happening, that the faculty can get their increases in salary with, uh, at, with a tuition increase, um, then faculty are going to then want to move in that direction unless there's some way of getting to the Northeast where both groups can, uh, can benefit. Now, faculty does have an interest 
in getting to Northeast, even if Northwest is on the table, because uh, it's going to be easier to get a policy when there is a broader range of interests represented by that policy pushing for it. In other words, when there's a coalition uh, that is larger and stronger. And so if there are four policy options on the table, one of which is salary cuts and tuition increases, that's the Southwest, teachers and faculty and students will have an interest in cooperating to play defense against that. Um, if there's a, a Northwest where there's salary increases and uh, tuition increases, faculty have an interest in doing that, but that hurts the interests of students. Why would faculty want to get to the Northeast? Well, they would want to get there for strategic reasons, which is that you're going to have more support in pushing the administration or the state government to adopt the policy. The more people, the more financial resources, and the more activist energy you have behind it. So rather than going it alone, uh, the faculty could go it uh, with a coalition of students if they get to Northeast. So interest groups actually have an interest in getting to Northeast because what that does is that creates an opportunity to leverage a greater amount of resources. And hopefully at this point in the course, you uh, it's just a, kind of a duh uh, insight to say that the more resources an interest group can bring to bear, the more membership, the more financial resources, the more activist energy, the more ideas and innovation that interest groups can bring to bear on the political system, whether they're lobbying through the courts, the legislature, or the executive branch, the more likely they are to have success. There is a very strong underlying interest in in getting to a cooperation model situation. And in many cases, interests are interconnected. Um, now, as you can see, and, and I know I'm probably belaboring the point, but I think it is important, um, interconnected interests create the possibility of this XY axis where there is a Northeast, but because there are four quadrants and two of those quadrants pit the, two, the groups against each other, there is this kind of always this lurking possibility for conflict. Players in the political arena, because it's so full of competition and conflict, can tend to think in conflictual competitive terms. And so students are looking to get to Southeast, which uh, gives them greater benefits um, without uh, um, uh, benefiting faculty. Faculty is looking to Northwest to get greater benefits to them without caring whether that hurts students or not. Um, both groups want to avoid Southwest. Um, but the Northwest-Southeast conflict can be so natural and normal that it can take a uh, real savvy and real effort to get groups to realize that there is a Northeast um, and to see that there is an opportunity for cooperation. Uh, collaboration, the model on the left with the overlapping Venn diagrams, that happens more naturally where two groups are like, yeah, you know, we there are certain places where we just naturally always overlap. Um, and we will work together in those ways. And those forms of collaboration do tend to form long-term coalitions where groups working for similar causes uh, will work together on an ongoing basis because they really do have a stable set of overlapping interests. When there are interconnected interests, there is not necessarily a stable set of uh, policies that the two groups will agree benefit both of them. There's not an obvious Northeast always. And then there's also always the kind of underlying struggle to whatever policy gets adopted that is in the Northeast, you would prefer to be the group that benefits more than the other one. So you want your gain 
to be bigger than your coalition partner's gain. And that complicates the situation. And so what we end up there with there is something that's much like both a uh, cooperative and a conflictual model. Uh, and that is, in a way, that's kind of a normal part of politics. That might be the most normal situation is that groups are pushing for policy solutions, either offensive or defense, defensive, that work to both of their benefits, but then they're working against each other to try to make sure that the benefits that they get are the bigger benefits. So, for example, you know, uh, students and faculty might work together for greater funding from the state, but faculty want more of that funding to go to salaries and less to go to student services, and students want more of that to go to student services and less to go to faculty salaries, because while faculty salaries uh, increase instructional improvement or uh, attainment, at least in theory, um, direct increases in student services are more directly beneficial to students. So all of this is to point out that one, uh, the interest group struggle is a multi-dimensional struggle. Uh, it is a struggle among groups to get their preferred policy outcomes. Um, but it also is there are a variety of forms that the struggle takes based on whether we have a direct conflict model, which exists all the time, a collaboration model, which also exists all the time, and a cooperation model, which is, uh, it does exist often, though not always. There's not always a Northeast to get to, um, but uh, it can exist, and yet it also, because there tends to be a conflict orientation in the mindset of people who are involved in politics, uh, faculty seeing Northwest as their preferred and uh, students seeing Southeast as their preferred, it can be difficult to see Northeast. And then it, when you're even when you see it and are getting to it, there's going to be a new layer of struggle, which is, okay, we're going to get to Northeast, but I want the Northeast to be better for me than it is for you, my group. Uh, and so there will be that additional uh, internal struggle. So between last the last lecture and this lecture, I hope you see that there, there are you know, like conflict and cooperation are two things that exist sort of intimately intertwined in interest group activity internally because even people who belong to the same organized interest group are going to not always see the agenda and the priorities the same way. They're not always going to agree on how to develop and utilize resources. And then there's also when it, different interest groups have either overlapping or interconnected interests, particularly when they have interconnected interests, but even overlapping, uh, there's going to be both cooperation and struggle there as well. All right, well, that uh, is going to be the end of my consideration about these kinds of dynamics. In the final lecture of the term and for week four, we're going to look at a completely different aspect of interest group activity, which is how interest groups work not directly on the political uh, environment or, excuse me, the political system, but more indirectly on the political environment, which forms the conditions for how they will work in the political system. And that will be the next lecture.